0: Amen. Good morning, Orchardville Church. Well, good to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, make sure you check in on social media, share the video of our live feed, and once you've done that, then open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Chapter 2 is where we're at today, Philippians chapter 2. And we're we're kind of hanging out, we're camping out in the book of Philippians for the month of November, because of all of the books in the New Testament, Philippians is probably more about joy and thanksgiving than any other book uh, in the New Testament. And we're in November, right? I mean, can you believe Thanksgiving is only like two and a half weeks away? It's right around the corner. So we're almost there. And so we're to just focus for the month of November on being thankful, and by the way, one of the things I am so incredibly thankful for is such a dedicated group of uh, worship leaders and musicians who just take us in the presence of the Lord every week. Amen. Uh, just wonderful time of worship together this morning, and uh, that's one thing that I am absolutely thankful for. All right, so just a, a quick recap of last week. We're going to be in chapter 2 today, but let's just take a quick kind of review of Philippians chapter 1. So now Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, to his friends in Philippi cuz they just they weren't just a church that he happened to be writing a letter to. They he, this was a group of people that he had established deep relationship with. So he's he's writing his friends in the church of Philippi. And he's talking an awful lot about being thankful while he's in Rome, imprisoned, which I find incredibly remarkable. And so while he's writing to his friends in Philippi, while being imprisoned in Rome, he's talking about all these things, unique things that he's thankful for. And some things that probably we don't often think about, things like he was thankful for fellowship. He was thankful for their partnership. He was... He was thankful for the fact that God would be faithful to complete what he has started in us. He was, he was thankful for so many things. The spread of the gospel, even though he was actually in chains, he was thankful that God was using that to move the gospel forward. And of all the things that he listed, the thing that he, la- he landed on at the end of chapter 1 was he was thankful for a God-honoring Church. He was thankful for a God honoring church. And so we're going to pick up the story today in chapter two. But before we begin reading, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a God that loves us beyond our wildest understanding. And so, Lord, help us to just get a, a little bit of a glimpse, a little grasp today. Of how great your love is for us. Lord, help us to understand how much we have to be thankful for. And Lord, in in this season, things often seem to speed up, and, and it is really easy, God, for us to lose track of all the things, all the blessings that we have enjoyed, and to lose our gratitude, to lose our thankfulness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to slow down the wheels for a moment. God, in the next half hour or so, that you'll just help us to block out all the other distractions, all other competing agendas. And Lord, you will help us to to remember blessing by blessing all the things that you've done for us. And, And Lord, who you are calling us to be that brings yet more blessing. So, God bless the, the reading of your word, bless the hearing of your word. We give it all to you in your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, we're going to begin today in chapter 2, in verse 1, and we're not going to get very far because the first word of verse 1 in chapter 2 is therefore. Therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you really kind of need to hit the pause button. Because what therefore means is, hey, listen, what I'm about to say is all because of what I just got through saying, right? So what Paul is about to tell the church at Philippi, and, and by extension, what Paul is about to say to us, is because of what he just got through saying. So before we look at what Paul's gonna say, let's remind ourselves of what Paul just got through saying. So we'll back up to verse 27 of chapter 1. All right, so here's here's what Paul writes. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. So let me paraphrase that passage of Scripture before we go to the therefore. So... A paraphrase of what Paul is saying in those final four verses, Paul says, hey, listen, I have one overriding desire for you, my friends, at the Church of Philippi. And that is this, that the way that you live daily should match the worth of the gospel. The way that you conduct your daily life should match the worth of the gospel. Because if you don't live like that, you will never be able to hold your ground against the world. How many of you know the world is always pushing and fighting against the followers of Christ? And Paul is saying if you don't live like that, you won't be able to stand against that. It will take unity among yourselves in order to accomplish that. But the result will be worth it. Because the testimony of a church that conducts itself like that will convict the world and it will convince you. So live like that. Therefore, therefore, Paul had a passionate desire for the church in Philippi to have unity. So... Church, live in this way so that your living together as a church will convict the world of the gospel and it'll convince you of the gospel because it's coming right out of your life. So therefore, verse two of chapter two, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interest of others complete my joy fulfill my joy paul in the in chapter 1 he's he's writing about all these things that he's thankful for and and what we looked at last week was that Thankfulness is the path to joy. Joy finds its its fruition by us practicing thankfulness. And so Paul says, Hey, listen, I've got all these things that I'm thankful for that are contributing to my joy. Now complete my joy by doing these several things. So let's take these one by one in these first several verses. First of all, Paul says, complete my joy by being like-minded. Now, I'm sure you've heard before, but I want to remind you that unity, which is what Paul is expressing in verses 27 through 30 of chapter one, unity is one of the key overriding goals of the New Testament church. Unity. Unity. Now, By the way, that does not mean uniformity. That does not mean that we all look alike. That does not mean that we all uh, uh, have the same preferences all the time. But it means that we set those aside for the sake of the cause of Christ. And I've heard since I've been here, and if you've been around uh, Orchardville a long time, I heard that one of the ways that Pastor Mark Shell used to express this unity is that you and I tie, right? We're in this together. We're not trying to one-up each other. We're unified, and that is one of the overarching principles of the New Testament for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, that is one of our goals. That is one of the primary goals of the church, but Paul, Paul did not see this as coming easy. Paul saw that unity in the church is actually something you have to work for. How many of you have ever realized in the course of your marriage, if you're married, that unity in your marriage is something you got to work for? Raise your hand. That doesn't just come easy. You squeeze the tube of the toothpaste wrong just one time. It's all downhill from there. I mean, there's a thousand little things that we do... To irritate each other and aggravate each other. You don't see how to do things the same way all the time. And so to have unity, to maintain unity, you must work for it. And Paul is expressing this as a corporate thing. Unity within the church to be like-minded among ourselves and you remember from verse 27 of chapter 1, he used the term striving together. And the concept of striving together as he, as he d- expresses it there, that's the concept of a team. Of a team working together against a common opponent. Now, I, you guys know I'm a huge sports fan. I love football. And of all things, I love South Carolina Gamecocks more than anything else. I love my Gamecocks. Yesterday was a terrible day. Yet again, it has not been a good season for my game. We lost to Appalachian State. Appalachian State. They're in the mountains of North Carolina. Nobody even knows where they are. We lost to Appalachian State yesterday. Now, we had one guy on the team, a guy by the name of Brian Edwards. Not that this means anything to you. I'm just using this as an example. During the game, Brian Edwards made several uh, catches of passes, and in doing so, he became the all-time leading receiver in yardage ever in the history of the University of South Carolina. Now, not that you care about University of South Carolina, but South Carolina's had some incredible receivers over the course of time. Guys that have gone on to play in the NFL were all pros, just incredible athletes at receiver, and he just passed all of them. It an, it's been an amazing career. And so, hey, that was awesome. Way to go, Brian Edwards. But did we win the game? No, we lost We lost to Appalachian State. <laughs> Man, I'm ready to give up on my team. That's scary. <clears throat> so in spite of his accomplishment, which was fantastic, the team did not win. And church far too often, we come to church and we're all about our own stats. We're all about our own accomplishments instead of what are we accomplishing together as a church body. And I don't care how good the stats are for any player, those stats will never wind up in the win-loss column as a win. They might look good for the player, but they mean nothing in the record of the team. And church, we're playing this together. We are not playing it alone. And Paul is saying, my prayer for you to complete my joy and my thanksgiving is that when you come together, you are a team working together, not for your own purpose, not for your own agenda, but as a whole to accomplish the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. Complete my joy by being like-minded. Then he says, have the same love. Have the same love. Now, that does not mean that we all have to love football, because I know all of you don't. It doesn't mean we all have to love stock car racing. I know you don't. It means we don't all have to love knitting. I'm sure there's some people who love knitting in here. I couldn't stand knitting. If I had to knit, for my, I'd just poke my eyeballs out with the knitting, knitting needle. <laughs> like, that way I won't have to do it. All right, so we don't have to love the same thing, but he has the same love. So how do we have the same love? Well, look back up in verse one. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship in the spirit, this is, this is the love of Jesus Christ and the love of the spirit that is working in us and flowing through us. Listen, church, everybody in here has people that you're going to connect to more than others, right? You have people that you're best friends with in this congregation and other people you barely know. Is that wrong? No, that's just natural. That's, that's human nature. That's called chemistry. There's some people that you connect with and then the others that you don't. And that's just life, all right? But those, and those that we connect with, by the way, we usually give them a lot of leeway and a lot of grace, don't we? Right, because we love them. All right, well, what about those people that you don't know too well? You ever notice that people in church can really get on your last nerve and then stomp on it really good? You ever had that happen in church? And if you're not really all that close to them, you can get really ticked off. Because you just don't really like them all that much. And guess what? It happens in the church. All right? And so Paul, understanding flawed human nature, says, hey, we're not supposed to be operating under our flesh anymore. We're supposed to be operating in the power of the Spirit, the consolation of the love of Christ. That one love is the love of Christ that has saved us, redeemed us, brought us into the family, and the Spirit that is in us connects through love with each other even the people that we don't naturally like because church love is not about an emotion love is a choice and he's saying put aside your natural differences and show the same love to each other across the board and that's why Uh, Jesus said in the gospel of John 13, a new commandment that I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. As I have loved you. That's a high bar, church. And one that we just dismiss way too easily. Well, I don't like him. I don't like her. So the heck with them. Have you ever had that thought about somebody in church? And I'll raise my hand because I have. Come on. Confess, church, confess. This This is what we do. We confess and repent, right? And Paul says, no, 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 no. You complete my joy, my thanksgiving to move toward unity by having the same love that Jesus had for us. You have and show to each other having the same love. Being in one accord. Now I think sometimes this is really interesting and challenging. Being in one accord. What in the world does it mean to be in one accord? Well, I, sometimes when I'm trying to study, I, I'll jump on Google and I'll do a little research. So I, I did a little research on Google and this is what I found being in one accord. It's a bunch of clowns in one accord. I'm not sure that that's what Paul meant by being in one accord. I don't think we'd all fit, but there could be some relevance. Who knows? A bunch of clowns in one accord. Maybe there's some application there. But, but what Paul was actually saying is with united souls, with souls that are knit together, we will agree on why we are here we will agree on why we're here you ever stop to ask yourself why are we here why am I here because church Paul is saying that the unity of the church depends on us being in one accord which means that we're in agreement why we're here And church, it's not how big the building can get. It's not what color we got on the walls. It's not what color we got on the carpet. It is about reaching people for Jesus Christ, period. Amen. Thank you. And then he says being of one mind. That is literally thinking the one thing. Literally thinking the one thing. The same thing, the one thing. How in the world do you do that? Because, man, I mean, I've spent 30 years married to my wife. I, if we're of the same mind more than 10 minutes out of a day, that's a miracle. So how, how in the world can you get 400 people or so together with the same mind I think it's because of what Paul says a little bit later, which we will look at in a moment in verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans, by the constant renewing of your mind. Church, to be of one mind, to have that one thing, we must work toward having and sharing the mind of Christ. Now, those first four things are things that we're supposed to be working on corporately, things that the church is supposed to be pushing toward. And Paul, being uh, focused on joy and thanksgiving, is saying, hey, listen, these are the things that bring me joy, make me thankful, and by," by the way, you think Paul had the mind of Christ? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. And if Paul had the mind of Christ and this brings joy to the mind and the heart of Paul, do you think this very thing also brings joy to the heart of Jesus? Yes? Amen. All right. So Paul is saying, do these things corporately together as a church. And then he moves on to some things that we need to be looking at individually. He says, be unselfish be unselfish this is in uh, verses 3 and 4 he says be unselfish now listen a church that is accomplishing anything a church that is on the move is going to have two things that that kind of show up on a regular basis and that is strife and disagreements and self-serving agendas and i say that because anything in motion is going to create friction and it's going to create heat. How many of you know that? Right? Anything in motion is going to create friction and heat. That's a byproduct of the movement. And so any church that is moving for the cause of Christ, any church that is accomplishing something for the cause of Christ, guess what? You're going to create some friction and you're going to create some heat. All right? Well, God has an answer to that, but Satan has a way of trying to exacerbate that. See, Satan jumps into that friction and that heat, and he starts to try to mess up the, 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 the works. He tries to throw a monkey wrench in the whole thing because he knows how to leverage that friction and that heat. And he's really, really good about it. And here's what happens. People start giving in to disagreements. People give in to strife. They give into preferences. They give into a little bit of gossip. Well, I didn't like that. I didn't like the other thing. And, and then they just start kind of taking little pot shots here and there. And you know, in the Song of Solomon, there's a, there's a passage of scripture that talks about maintaining a, a good, healthy marriage and relationship. And you know that in that, in that passage of scripture, well, he, he talks about one of the biggest problems in a, in a relationship is not the big stuff, because we can usually deal with the big stuff, it's the little foxes, right? Those little things. And because they're so little, nobody thinks that we got to deal with it. And so you get three or four people over here. Well, I didn't like that little thing. And three or four people over there. Well, I didn't like that little thing. And then and the next thing you know, you got a whole bunch of little things that are becoming the primary focus of, of a few people. Then they become the primary focus of the church. And unity is destroyed. Because that's how Satan works. He knows that. He leverages that. And then if people don't get what they want they start working against other church members and against the church itself. They don't strive with each other they strive against each other. Man, Satan has got such a monumental uh, uh, expertise in this particular area. But you know in, in an engine, and I, I, I'm by no means am I a mechanic, so don't ever mistake what I say as, as a mechanic. I am not that, but I know a couple of things. I know that in order to keep a car running, that an engine is generating heat and friction. What, what do you have to keep in the engine to keep it running? Oil. You gotta keep. You gotta keep oil because the oil works to alleviate the friction. And it works to alleviate the heat. Do you, know what, do you know what is compared to oil in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Do you think if we worked on applying the Holy Spirit to the movement of our church, that that might just be the answer to the heat and the friction that gets generated by the movement of the church? So Paul is saying, be unselfish. Disunity and divisiveness is one of the most terrible crimes within the church. And Paul says, don't allow yourselves to go that way. Then he says, thinking more of others than ourselves. More of others than ourselves. Listen, the only way that a church can remain strong and stay in the blessing of God. It's for its people to walk in a spirit of humility with and toward each other. Now, we all know what our self-interest are. We all have them. I mean, we have self-interest. Our, our natural instinct is self-preservation, right? I mean, you know that. So we know what our self-interest are. And in our carnal human flesh... We are prone to drag our self-interest right into the church because we got saved, we got a new nature, but it didn't eliminate our old nature entirely, right? We get saved and we drag that old nature right into our salvation with us. And our old nature still wants to preserve and look out for our self-interest, Look out for number one. One of the, the most overriding questions that any of us ever have when anything comes up is what's in it for me, right? What's in it for? What am I gonna get out of this? And Paul is saying, make my joy full by being a church in unity. And the way that, one of the ways that you do that at an individual level is you stop asking the question, what's in it for me? And you start asking, what can I do for you? what can i do for you and then he says looking out for each other how do we do that how do we look out for each other by we serve each other we minister to each other we pray for each other you know if if you're if you're participating in in our sunday sync ministries and by the way if you're not you know we're we're near the end of the year it's never too late to jump in, but I'm just going to ask you maybe your schedule is set and you've got so many things going on that you cannot see yourself participating in Sunday sync before the start of the year. Make a commitment for 2020 that you're going to be here to participate in Sunday sync. Those of you who are participating in Sunday sync right now, is it changing your spiritual temperature? Yes? And part of the time that you spend in Sunday sync is, guess what? Praying for each other. Sharing prayer requests. Church, we've got to be praying for each other. We must be praying for each other. And that is one of the ways that we serve each other. That's one of the ways that we look out for each other is praying for each other. Meeting needs. You heard George a while ago share that we're going we're gonna to be receiving uh, gifts and donations of turkeys. And by the way, turkeys, those are the kind you cook, not, not the person that you're, you, know, you live beside, not your neighbor, not the person you work with. It's the kind that you buy in the grocery store and, and, and put it in the, in the oven. So we're collecting turkeys and hams and, and other paraphernalia to go with that. And we're going to make sure that we bless some families that are in need. That's how you look out for each other. And Paul says, you will complete my joy, my thanksgiving is if this, you make this one of your practices. And he says, then finally, one of the last things you can do is by being like Jesus. So let's read real quick verses 5 through 11. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's because it's like he wasn't taking anything away from God to be equal with God because he was equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Even though he was equal with God, he made himself of no reputation. I don't know how often you think of that. Christmas is coming soon. Jesus Christ, who was God, part of the Trinity, made himself of no reputation. None, zero reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, Not a prince, not a king, not the runner of a Fortune 500 company. He came in the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, therefore, because of what Jesus did, all those things by letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I think one of the things that we struggle with so much is that carnal nature that we bring into our salvation, that carnal nature that we bring into our church that says, hey, I wanna make sure people know what I'm doing. I wanna make sure people know who I am. I wanna make sure people know what I've done. And God says that Jesus made Himself of no reputation. He was a bondservant. He suffered to the point of death. But as a result, God elevated him above everything. Amen. And I think sometimes we take the short view, what's in it for me now? And God says, if you'll stop thinking about what's in it for you now, I got something way better for you later. Oh, man, but we don't want that in our fast serve culture, do we? Man, we don't like waiting. I don't like waiting, but there's a value in waiting. Man, the best food I've ever had, you know, it didn't come out of the microwave. I love the microwave. I'm thankful for the microwave. I really am, but the best food I've ever had, I had to wait for, right? God says, stop thinking about what's in it for you now. I've got something so much better Later. And that's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of Jesus. And so, verses 12 through 16, therefore, my beloved, because of all of this, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. For his good pleasure do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I've not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul says because of All that Jesus has done. Because of all the things that I've called you to prior. I'm asking you to have the mind of Christ. So do all things without complaining. And we are are far more prone to complain than we are to give gratitude, aren't we? Man, we... Complaining comes really quick and really easy. Woo! Just snap that complaint right off. Man, we have to force ourselves to be thankful, don't we? And Paul says, do all things without complaining. No murmuring, no griping, no complaining. And and listen, we've probably all known people that would go ahead and do something and then the whole time they're doing it, they're complaining about doing it. You ever, you ever been around somebody? I mean, and, and then they, it's like, well, I know I need to do it. But I'm, I'm just mad about this and I'm mad about that. And, but boy, look what I'm doing. I'm doing it, but I'm mad about it. I'm doing it, but I'm mad about it. Right? You've seen it. And the truth is, some of us have probably done it ourselves. And he, Paul says, do all things without complaining and without arguing. Church, these two things are so contrary to our nature. And it is so easy for us to fall into this trap within our nature and in within the context of the church. But because Paul is asking them to preserve unity, to complete his joy, and because the mind of Christ goes against all of these things, Paul says do all things without complaining and without arguing. And by the way, that says all things. <laughs> I think I probably need to stay out of drive-through lanes and out of any lines in general. Man, because those are my, like, oh, man, some, something just crawls all over me in the drive-through lane of a fast food restaurant because those are contrary terms. There's nothing fast about it. And then every time I'm ever in somewhere where you got to pick a line, why is it that I always pick the wrong line? Always. Man, that line over there started moving as soon as I got in this one, and then somebody got behind me, now I can't move. (laughs) To honor the Lord, I should just stay out of all lines. So anything that we do at the church, you just need to let me go straight to the front. Amen. All right. Because I don't want to bring dishonor to the things of the Lord. Church, complaining and arguing are never, ever, ever of God. Do you realize that? Complaining and arguing are never of God. And that is the main point of Paul's charge here, that nothing is left out, so all things should be done without these elements. And he says, do that so that our testimony of the gospel will shine bright. You know, one of the greatest and most effective criticisms, I think, of Christianity is the hypocrisy of us as Christians and how they see us operate within the context of our own church. So we talk about this Lord who is all love, right? We talk about this Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who put us above all things. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then they see us come into church, and that's not how we act at church at all. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi, some of you know this. This some of be news to some others. Mahatma Gandhi once said, he said, I like your Christ. I like your Christ. But I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Wow. I mean, what a painful observation by anybody. I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And church, we do all of those things that Paul has already talked about so that our testimony will shine bright in the world and people will be drawn to Christ, not pushed away from him. Amen? And he says... Do all those things so that there will be even greater joy on the day of Christ. Even greater joy on the day of Christ. Are we saying earlier this morning, you know, that last song, that third song? You know, about the goodness of God and, and glory to Him. And on that day of Christ. On that day. How in the world? Could there be possibly be more joy? When, when we stand face to face with Jesus Christ, the Lord of our salvation, the giver of eternal life, how in the world could there possibly be more joy? By seeing even more people participate in the day of Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. Let your light shine so that my joy will be full on the day of Christ so that I know that my labor was not in vain. And when we have a church that brightly shines the light of Christ because we are serving him in such a way that people are drawn to him, not pushed away from him, then we add to the joy of that day because not only will we be there, we'll see more people participating because of the testimony of our own lives and the life of our church. And this morning as I was thinking about that, I thought about an old hymn. Some of you probably know it, probably know it well. Some of you don't know this, I'm sure.
1: But i just sing just the verse of it. And if you know it, sing it with me. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day! Glorious day that will be. Let's sing that one more time. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand. And leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Would you bow your heads? Father, as we bring
0: our service to a close today, Lord, I pray that we will be that church that Paul wrote to. That we will be working in our own lives and we'll be working together as a family to fulfill His joy. And Lord, to fulfill Your joy. That we become that people, that we become that church that shines brightly in the world because our lives, our daily lives, are worthy of the value of the gospel. So God, speak to each heart today. Let us respond as you would have us respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand as the instruments play and they sing, move as you feel led. Let's be that people, let's be that church.